What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I am your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me today, as always, is the man who could have made a very good career out of packing moving vans, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. Well, thank you. I was uh, packing a friend yesterday and helping get them all in a uh, pretty large moving van, but uh, but we needed every bit of space in that. So I have all these skills that are left over from my time being a stalker at a grocery store so i put it to good use and we had that trailer packed to the gills so that is a skill i do not have in in that i can see an object and then decide what kind of space it would fit in you on the other hand are an expert and you and i have you know over our years of being married we've made a few moves and you could know really really well what size van we needed or truck we needed and very very well where all of these pieces needed to go and what order they needed to come out in it's just a skill of yours i am amazed when i was talking to one of the people helping us pack yesterday i was thinking back how many times have i moved in my 54 years and it's been over a dozen times that i have moved that i've actually helped pack so i think that's where it comes from but yeah i can see a box and pretty much tell you if it's going to fit in a space or not from a distance even i I wish i had that skill to remember names and other things that are more probably more valuable well now that it's out there you'll be getting phone calls from lots of different people who are going to need some help probably this summer who might be moving but you did help a friend and it was a friend from church who'd actually worked there for 16 years and he and his family had to move so that way they could be closer to aging parents if you remember back last week we talked about there being seasons for things mm. and we're kind of going through a season at saint joe's church in vancouver because we're losing two very beloved members of our staff of course the one that we just talked about but another one so close and dear to you and i and it's the wonderful sister joelle she after what did they say 30 years 30 years yeah. she had been at saint joe's she had been doing outreach ministry reaching those who are homebound bringing eucharist to people making sure that those who were in emergency situations in the hospital received pastoral care but most importantly, she has been such a dear person to our family. I think she ta- uh, taught First Communion to all four of our children when they were receiving their First Communion. She was a part of that group. And most importantly, she was there. She was one of the recipients of the very few tickets that we got for your ordination. You know, she reminded me just this week as I was tearfully saying goodbye to her and knowing that she's not going to leave immediately, but, but this transition, she's not going to be there at the, at the church where I obviously, obviously attend and I'm there quite a bit. So not to see her there will be a big, uh, big difference. But I, I was talking with her and she said, do you remember when we were in the vesting sacristy and I looked at you and I said, Scott, you'd make a good deacon. And, she, and she's right. When she said that, I remember that moment. It just came flashing right in years ago. Now, that is literally almost 20 years ago that she said that. Mm-hmm. And 
she was the one who began my inquiry in my mind of maybe I should consider this. And from there, here I am 14 years a deacon and I attribute so much of my diaconate, especially so much of the wisdom that I've, I've gained from people I admire from her because I admire her diaconal spirit, which just exceeds uh, beyond belief, the uh, care and love that she gives to the community. So School Sisters of Notre Dame really hit it out of the park when they were able to bring Sister Joel on uh, as, as one of the sisters. And so she's been dedicated since that young adulthood when she became a School Sister of Notre Dame. Now, she has, like I said, been a part of the sacramental prep for all of our children. Now, our one daughter, Ashlyn, who is getting ready to become a nurse, they had kind of a special bond, too, Mm -hmm. I think, because for one, when Ashlyn was little and she would tell sister, my name is Ashlyn, she couldn't pronounce it quite right. And sister Joelle knew her name, but would always call her ice cream. And our daughter couldn't quite understand why it was that she called her ice cream because that wasn't her name. And it was just one of those things. Finally, she just accepted the fact that I think Sister Well is actually just calling me ice cream for fun. (laughs) The other thing that I remember between the two of them is Ashen had gotten very sick when she was eight years old and ended up in Children's Hospital with an appendix burst. And so she was there for a little while. And Sister Joelle came and sang to her in the hospital room at Children's Hospital. It's just one of those things that always stuck with him. And Sister Joelle was there, brought her a cute little clown, which I think we still have in her bedroom. And it's those bonds that just showed our children that our faith brings us joy because Sister Joelle, always joyful when it came time to be with the kids. Now, There was also the times that if the kids were talking too much in church, boy, she made sure to let them know that it was time to be quiet. But still, they accepted it so well from Sister Joelle. So our youngest Christian, our son, he he made a comment this week that the servers at St. Joseph were the most top-notch when Sister Joelle was training. He he was trained by her, and he said nobody dared— uh, make a misstep or not do what she said to do. No. They they all stayed in line for Sister Joelle because she was very adamant that this is important to God that you do the good work. And uh, well, they took it to heart. Oh, so it's going to be uh, sad to not see her on a regular basis. Uh, but we know she'll still be part of our community. And from, well, from time to time, we'll uh, get to be with her again. So we wish her the best in her retirement. And I just want to comment what a great pathway of life that she has led and followed Christ the whole way. Well, it was fortunate that we were able to recognize her in church this Sunday. Now, here in the Archdiocese of Portland, Scott, big news was announced because the dispensation for the obligation uh, to attend Mass has been rescinded, basically, meaning that it's time to go back, that they have done enough work in the state uh, with regards to COVID. And so it is time now to head back to church. And this is a wonderful opportunity today on View from the Pew, because coming up, we're going to review an interview that actually I did back in March. And it is about a book that has come out. It's by Timothy O'Malley called Real Presence. What does it mean? And why does it matter? And as we enter back into our churches again to receive Christ in the Eucharist, this is such an important topic to remember. And in our second half, we will talk about what it means in our faith life to be back in the pews 
as part of the presence of Christ together. So stay with us. We got a great show ahead for you on this week's View from the Pew. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. You just remember what your past is. Boy, you got a the Catholic Church teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. In his first apology, written in 151 AD, St. Justin Martyr clearly states, We call this food Eucharist, and no one else is permitted to partake of it except one who believes our teaching to be true. Not as common bread nor common drink do we receive these. The food which has been made into the Eucharist by the Eucharistic prayer set down by Him and by the change of which our blood and flesh is nourished is both the flesh and the blood of that incarnated Jesus. The Catholic Church absolutely follows St. Justin Martyr in taking Jesus at His word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. Why do you listen to Mater Day Radio? Is it for the prayers, Catholic news and education, or to be inspired? Whatever your reason for listening, we are grateful for your support. And as we surpass 30 years of broadcasting a gospel message, we hope you will consider leaving a legacy for Mater Day Radio in your estate planning. This can be as easy as including Catholic Radio as a beneficiary in your will. For more information on estate planning options, please visit us online at materdayradio.com. Family life can be hectic, but God can be found right in the middle of it. So take a moment for this week's View from the Pew. What does it mean to consume the body and blood of Christ at Mass? Well, is the Eucharist just a symbol? And is he present in the same way he was to the disciples in the upper room? If you are not sure how to answer these questions, well, you wouldn't be alone. Most Catholics don't. Well, in his new book, Real Presence, Timothy O'Malley clears up the confusion by explaining the biblical origins and long traditions of the church doctrine of the real presence and transubstantiation. Timothy is with me today to tell you more about this wonderful book. Tim, let's talk about this book. I've got to say, for as complex as this subject is, you have managed to get it all into a relatively small book, something very easy to use. How did you even begin to break down this subject to get it all kind of compact size? Yeah, well, my publisher helped, who told me that it had to be compact. But secondarily, um, I think for me, it was the result of years of contemplation of teaching uh, what the doctrine of real presence is, how God seeks to dwell among us, right? In the scriptures, presence is integral in the history of, of Israel. In the New Testament, right, uh, Jesus Christ is the very presence of God. He has pitched his tent and dwelt among us. And of course, then, that's taken up into the Eucharistic doctrine of even the early Church up to the medieval period and then in the modern period. And so you really see a kind of echoing or development of the tradition throughout time. And so in some ways it's easy to trace because it's been so integral to Catholic life from the very beginning. 
Tim, not too long ago, a research poll found that about two thirds of Catholics did not believe in the true presence. Why do you think this doctrine of the real presence is so difficult to understand and that so many would doubt it? Yeah, so I think the poll, right, of course, reveals that there are, you know, roughly 31% of Catholics understand real presence in a proper sense. The poll has its own problems. The Pew Report continually uh, says actual presence rather than real or substantial presence, which is the way the Church talks about it. Uh, Nonetheless, I think part of the problem is a misunderstanding of the doctrine itself. People don't understand the doctrine. They don't understand its history and tradition. On the other hand, I think part of it is reverence, right? Eucharistic reverence is perhaps more integral to me, which is when you go to your average parish, you you know, what's taking place? Are we adoring a sort of symbolic rite? Are we performing an exercise? Or are we meeting a person, right? The person of Jesus Christ who becomes present to us in what looks like bread and wine, but it's in fact his body and blood, his soul and divinity, his personal presence given to us. And so I think one of the things we have to reclaim is a deeper devotion of reverence, of Uh, you know, bending the knee before the Blessed Sacrament. His new book is Real Presence. It's written by Timothy O'Malley, and Timothy is joining me today to give us a little bit of insight. Tim, I think, well, at least for myself, that transubstantiation, it's a complex idea that it's just easier to say, well, this is what the church says, so I choose to believe it. Why do you think it's important for us to have a real understanding of the Eucharist and the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist? Yeah, so transubstantiation is a beautiful doctrine of the church. And what it says is that God, you know, Christ feeds us his very self, his whole self, in a way that we can receive it, right? So transubstantiation develops and is officially presented to the church around 1215. And it's offered, certainly it had predecessors before, but it's officially acknowledged in 1215 uh, at the Fourth Lateran Council, and it's presented to us as the the following, right? So what looks like bread and wine Mm -hmm. isn't. It's actually Christ's body and blood. What What it is, the substance of it has changed. Now, substance doesn't mean like we understand, like math or stuff. Right. Substance is the isness of the thing, what it is. So every dimension of what it is is now Christ's body and blood, and yet it's given to us in a way that we can receive it, right? We don't eat flesh and blood, right? We're not cannibals. We eat bread and wine, right? So what's bestowed to us are the species or accidents, that which is made visible, tangible, touchable for us, and we eat and drink that, and in that way, God feeds us with himself, not in a way that's abhorrent to us, but in a way that we can eat and drink him. The, the, the doctrine is really key. It helps us to avoid either pure kind of symbolism, right? It's just a memorial of what took place once upon a time, or a sort of carnal understanding that is perhaps too physicalist, St. Thomas Aquinas taught us this in its fullness so that we could receive our Lord and understand the gift that we're receiving, his presence dwelling among us. Tim, then help us understand when we are sitting in adoration or we're kneeling and praying before the Blessed Sacrament, is that 
Christ looking back at us. Well, of course it is. Yeah, it is his presence. I think the gift of the Eucharist is it's not an object. We're not looking, we're not objectifying Christ. We're not locking him up in a tabernacle, uh, causing him more suffering. Rather, it's his presence dwelling among us, gazing upon us. Uh, You know, I think a lot, especially in COVID, gosh, what do I want most want is presence right now. I want the presence of my friends, of my family. I want the presence of fellow worshipers, and I want the presence of our Lord gazing upon me, inviting me to a deeper communion and desire with God. And, you know, the gift of the Eucharist is, right, it doesn't look like Christ. It gives us space to respond, right? It's not, uh, you know, my undergraduates, I think, often expect fireworks in the Eucharist, right? You know, uh, this is my body, this is my blood, and then fireworks go up. That's not what's given. What's given is the chance to freely respond in love, to let our desire for God grow. Gosh, I just wish every parish in the world would reclaim benediction as a regular thing that takes place, uh, you know, once a week. Uh, It it, it is the great tradition of the Church that I think brings us more deeply into this delight in the Eucharistic presence of our Lord. Timothy O'Malley is the author of a new book out by Ave Maria Press called Real Presence. Timothy, I know many people would want to get a copy of this book. It is part of a series that you are starting there. Tell us a little bit about the series and how people can get a copy for themselves. Yeah, so the series attempts to unite doctrine and practice. Doctrine isn't a bad word. It helps us understand what's given. And so this is a doctrine book that you're given, and then there are other books about practice, like Link to Prayer, or How Do We Do Youth Ministry, or Creation. And, and if you want to get copies of all these books as they're coming up, you, you know, you can get them at Ave Maria Press, or of course, uh, you know, anywhere that books are sold, including Amazon. Oh, sounds good. Well, Tim, it is a wonderful book, and I sure appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. And again, that is Timothy O'Malley. The name of the book is Real Presence. I will be sure to add a link to where you can find the information on this book, how you can purchase it and the other books in the series. I will put that link on the podcast of this interview at materdayradio.com. I hear what he is saying, but I think I am like many people in the pews. I understand the words. I understand what it means that Christ is truly present and that it is the accident that it the, the host still tastes and is received like bread, but Christ is truly present. How that happens, well, that's the mystery to me. I, I can think about this on and on and on to try to grasp and get my human mind to wrap around it, and and I fail terribly at trying to really grasp what that means. It's, it's, I think, representative of how hard it can be if we try to bring logic to the sacraments. The sacraments aren't meant to be defined like science would define something, and yet science grows out of our faith. We look at nature and we're awed by it, but in terms of the sacraments, they remain a mystery because they're intended not to be defined. We can't fully know God in our life. God is so enormous. And in that little host, we see the accident of the bread. But I think Christ giving us that really brings uh, home that we need to have faith. 
And faith is not rooted in knowing in the way that we might logically know. It's in knowing in the way that our heart grows to know. Just like I know I love you as my wife, and I'll have a hard time maybe proving that absolutely to somebody else who might might see us in our marriage. But I know in my heart how much I love you. And I know in my heart when I look at that bread, how much like Doubting Thomas, I say, my Lord and my God, with the utmost deference and reverence to what that host now represents, Jesus Christ. Well, we just talked about it, in fact, on the morning blend about how the words that you just said, my Lord and my God, it is the perfect prayer to say at the elevation. I think another thing that it requires of me to help me understand this is actually patience because I do want to understand and I want to know perfectly what it means because I believe that I will be a better recipient of the host. And I've been struggling with patience a lot, especially as we could see the COVID numbers starting to come down. I just want to jump in and be at church and take off my mask and sing and hug my friends and stuff. And yet we're still asked, especially in the Archdiocese of Seattle, patience. This is all coming and there is a pathway forward to this. And the same thing is here in the Archdiocese of Portland. There is a pathway forward and just remain vigilant, be focused and be calm. Maybe uh, one of the characteristics of myself that I need to work on them, but we all need a little bit of patience. I just want to sing out loud. You know, the gospel writings, how, uh, how much patience it's taken for our faith to evolve into what it is today. That when Mark, this year that we're in right now, the gospel of Mark, uh, when Mark wrote the gospel, he wrote it with the anticipation that Christ is coming like next week, like Mm -hmm. tomorrow. And as the church continued to grow and time continued to go by, then we hear uh, Matthew and John and Luke, one one of the later gospels who are still encouraging people not to lose faith. And we've had to be patient 2000 years, 2000 plus years. And when is Christ coming again? We don't know but we remain faithful and patient for that promise that Christ will come again. And wow, was COVID not like that where we're, our patience is being tested. And I always turn to Mary, who was the model of patience, mm. who took all that she saw into her heart and pondered, and pondered it. Yeah. I mean, that pondering means the ultimate of patience. Oh, I love that. Just thinking about it. Part of where that impatient comes from, too, is that we get these glimpses of heaven in ordinary things, but they strike us so powerfully that we want to have all of it. Well, right now. And and so, yeah, even in my impatience, maybe causes me to sin a little bit because in the Archdiocese of Seattle, we're not supposed to be singing. Yet, Scott, yeah, I last few weeks behind my mask. I've been doing a little bit of singing. I'm sorry for that. But then at the same time, yeah, maybe not so sorry. Yeah. And, you know, that's I think one of our other struggles is not just focusing on aspects of patience. It's focusing on aspects of obedience. And each bishop is given the responsibility to pastor their flock as they see best and falling within the context of the code of canon law and the rights that they're given as bishop. And so you see these variations. And for the lady that might be like we are on the border of two dioceses, they're asking, well, how come they're not the same? Right. 
because they they have unique needs that we might not see here on the edge of the southern deanery of Seattle. But if we were living up in Seattle, we might view that differently. So how does the how does the bishop view his entire responsibility? And that's hard for us to be obedient to and to be patient in the midst of. And yet that's also, I think, a microcosm of what we as church realize when we're having to understand a pope's words, a pope's direction, and say he has enormous areas that we have no idea what he's having to contend with because we're just in this small area of North America. We are so egocentric. We think that whatever is being said, we, we immediately go to, well, what does this mean? for Why, why is he telling me this? Well, the, the universal church is huge. The world is huge. And when the Pope or the bishops or the cardinals make a declaration of some kind of thing, we have to recognize it's not just me he's right. talking to. It's the whole world. And so you're right. It is, and especially for us, as you and I, we travel across that bridge all the time between Washington and Oregon, which also means we're traveling in between the Archdiocese of Seattle and the Archdiocese of Portland. And so, yeah, we, we've been struggling because a lot of us on the north side of the river really feel like, yeah, it's, it's, there's some good things happening here in Portland, but we have to recognize exactly that, that even though we're in the Southern Deanery, three hours away from, uh, in a car ride from where our bishop is, we have got to remember that he is the archbishop of all of that area. In fact, he is the archbishop from the Southern end of Washington all the way to the Northern end of Washington. Right. So we again, have to remember and have to be patient. So I'm going to do my best. Well, as we celebrate kind of this slow end of COVID, as we welcome the opening of the states of Oregon and the states of Washington, I think it's time to just be thankful for all that we have been given. Scott, will you end us in a prayer today? Yes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, again, your holy family that gives us guidance in times of uncertainty, who lead us to places in confidence as Joseph led you into Egypt for safety. Help us to trust in that model to lead our children and lead our community into a new beginning with what we are experiencing with COVID. Give great gratitude to you for the blessing of our health and of our family and friends who we can continue to love and care for while on this earth. We ask all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless and happy 4th of July. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.